thank you for coming on the on the podcast first of all thank you for having me we don't know each other I came across <laughs> I came across you because we do have a mutual and he was like excited to get your book and read it and I went immediately and looked at your page because it so happens that this person has always sort of opened opportunities for me to like get to meet really cool people so I automatically anytime he shares something I like go check out the person and then he gifted me this this friend of ours he gifted me your book which I, I was gonna get anyway but I told him hey I think I'm gonna have him on the podcast I'm gonna ask and he's like yeah have you read the book and I said no I'm actually gonna order it right um, and he said no it's okay I'll gift it to you so that was also really cool. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I guess I should start right. Uh, my name is Saul Hernandez, and I am from San Antonio, Texas. I was born and raised here. My parents immigrated from San Luis Potosi, Mexico. I want to say in their teens, like around 15, 14, maybe 16. And they've established a life here in San Antonio. And the only reason how we have this mutual friend in common is because I did my MFA in creative writing in El Paso, which they they are the only school that currently offers a bilingual MFA. Uh, so we did have a lot of students coming in from like different parts of Mexico. We had students from Chile. We had students from like Colombia. So like super, you know, and once we're all there, it's like we're all we think we all know Spanish. And then like everyone has like their own regional Spanish. Yeah. So it was really neat. That's cool. You know, you saying that just actually something really amazing happened to, I was with this friend, this mutual friend that we have, Victor is his name. Um, we were recording for uh, YouTube and we went to La Plaza. We ended up meeting um, an immigrant from, from Venezuela, like in a matter of days, our lives like just made an impact in his life and it was so beautiful but the only reason I bring this up is because he was also like I hear a lot of phrases here that you know a lot of like the Mexican Americans use and I'm so confused by that like he was like I keep hearing que padre or um what was the other one neta you know like that slang that Mexican slang right. oh I was <laughs> laughing because he was like what is that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's so cool. So then that's how you met. You came to school here. Right. Okay. So what was yes. it like uh, growing up for you in San Antonio? Like, did you have any idea that your parents were undocumented? Because I know you mentioned that in the book. Did you right. always have that? Like, did you know that? I didn't. Um, it's strange, like, to reflect back on my childhood and, you know, memories. I should say that my that I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness as well. My mm -hmm. parents, I feel like we're looking for community. And, you know, they come to a foreign country, they don't know anybody, religion offers you a hand and, you know, you fall into that. Right. So for me, I think I started perceiving that something was odd, maybe around my, I want to say maybe like fifth grade, to seventh, maybe eighth grade around there is when I started noticing like, oh, my parents have a different status in this country than others, right? You start questioning, why is it harder for them to have a job or, you know, keep one consistently? Uh, why are we moving a lot? Why is it harder, you know, 
for us as a family to move forward in a country that is supposed to provide many opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when kind of the illusion of this American dream started, you know, kind of collapsing in my ideology or in Mm -hmm. my vision. And that's when I was like, oh, we have a different status. And it really wasn't until my eighth grade year when my mom's father passed away, where I really saw like the effect of not being able, you know, to go back to your home country and like bury your father. That for me was like, you know, you're, you're a child and like you're surrounded by all this sadness and it's like, what do you do with this? Like, how do we move forward? Or how can I help, right? You're only a kid. You don't know what grief is. You don't know how to help your family in general. So you kind of just sit with all the sadness. Yeah, which I have to say that just immediately into reading your book, because your book, for anyone listening, it's 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 small, but it's like a compilation of like poems and like, I looked at it as like thoughts, like, you know, like your thoughts and feelings and whatever put on paper and memories within like the second little poem that I was reading. I wanted to cry. I related to basically a lot of what's in your little, you know, in your book. I I related to everything. When my family and I came to this country, it's my parents, four girls, I'm the oldest of four girls but myself and the one after me we came into this country without you know as undocumented individuals Uh and it wasn't until later in life that we found a way and a pathway to citizenship um so our experience is very much different from my other two sisters who were born here and you know that we lived in mexico so it was very different coming here leaving our country leaving everybody that we knew and loved not knowing the language. Right. And then I, I related to, to, you know, where you talk about your your grandfather passing away and your mom not being able to go back mm-hmm. and that desperation of, you know, I remember growing up um, before we, we, we got our citizenship status and things would happen back home and we couldn't go back. And it was like, well, why can't we go? We can't be there grieving. We can't be there to celebrate, to join in and enjoy whatever it is that was happening back home. You couldn't do that. So I felt for your mom, you know, in, Mm -hmm. in that way. And, and I, you know, I made a comment to my mom about it and she felt the same way. Like I remember, you know, I remember that, but your mom did have an opportunity eventually years later, right? Right, to yes. go back and visit yes. his grave. What was that like? Oh, that just gave me chills. I know, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Remembering, um, it was my second year in grad school. Uh, so the MFA in El Paso is three, it's a three-year program. Um, most MFAs are two years. So, you know, I was lucky enough to have an extra year. But it was my second year. And I remember, you know, my, we had, my mom's paperwork was already in process. uh, But then we came into the Trump era. And, you know, we were kind of scared of like, is this going to delay things? Is this going to, you know, not grant her the access or the opportunities? But, you know, luckily in November, like they told her like, okay, like she had her interview, she was, they, they told her like, you know, it's a go, you got the green light, expect your, you know, your um, green card and documentation to come in by sometime later this year. Um, so she was able to come visit me in El Paso. 
uh, because, you know, there is a checkpoint when you come from El Paso to mm-hmm. San Antonio. So she was finally able to come visit me. And, you know, she was like blown away by all the cultura, all la gente. You know, it's like the little things that you that you don't even pay attention to. That like you take for granted. For your, yeah, like ordering for your parents in English at a restaurant. And then mm-hmm. when she came here, she saw that, you know, if you don't know Spanish, you basically don't have a job in El Paso. And she, <laughs> you know, it was one of the first times where I saw her ordering her own food confidently. Right. And I was like, wow, like this is this is insane. <laughs> and then that was in, in October, I want to say. And then in December, she got her green card in the mail. And she's like, hey, I'm going to go to... San Luis, uh, you know, I'm going to go see everything and everyone. And I took a flight from Juarez to Guadalajara. And then from Guadalajara, I took a bus to San Luis and we met up. And on she waited till the last day to go visit her father's grave. And it was just, you know, something beautiful, but also tragically to witness mm-hmm. as someone who comes back and, you know, not only her father passed away, but like her grandparents passed away, uh, other family members. And it's just like leaving traces, right? Yeah. Of, like, like, here I am, like, this is who I am. I don't know if you remember me, but, you know, talking I to know. the dead is very therapeutic in a way, but it's also very, you don't get answers, basically, mm-hmm. right? There's no closure. And sometimes I hate to use that because I feel like Mm -hmm. we create our own closure, right? Like like nobody else should give us that. But um, it's difficult when you have no choice but to create that closure for yourself because the other person is not there. Right. So you have no choice. You just say, this is where I lay it down and I leave whatever could happen. Right. And I feel like part of creating your closure is... um, restoring your agency right and your power and i was able to witness that that day at the cemetery you know we also went right before the sun rose so it was like this like the perfect moment (laughs) i hate to say beautiful but you know it's like this beautiful scenery Mm -hmm. picture of like the mountains behind her the sun rising her walking it's almost like something that's very haunting in a way Mm -hmm. but also very much like wow like you're here almost like the universe was showing her like the power of the moment right Right. like mother earth and everything coming together to say we're witnessing this and creating this for you yeah i i'm telling you i cried through your whole book the whole thing i mean and 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 it's a it's a short read but it's so impactful um, there's a thank lot you, of there's a lot of reasons why I like it moved me in the way that it moved me. There's a poem there where you describe something very strong, you know, with a a family, a relative. Yeah. And I too went through something very similar. So it was like it kind of put me back in a place where I realized how confusing that was for me, like how that experience was not only painful now that I look back and realize right. this person took advantage of my trust, right? But also all the confusion that it caused and how that confusion has affected my relationships along the way. Right, yeah. Yeah, so for those of you <laughs> yeah. listening, uh, the poem, you know, disclaimer, uh, trigger warnings. Yes, trigger um, warnings. If you're not ready to listen <laughs> to anything heavy right now, turn it off. It does have to deal with abuse, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Sexual abuse in particularly. 
And I remember when I wrote that poem, it was my last year of grad school and I was with my thesis advisor and I had not put a name or a pronoun to that individual. I, it was a, like a them. Mm. And I also had not inserted the I, right? Like the poetic I into the poem. And she said, you know, sometimes it's really hard to write through these moments specifically because we don't want to name them again. And I was mm. like, oh, like, yeah, she's, she's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was, and it wasn't until like I inserted, you know, the I and gave the pronouns, you know, their proper naming. Then mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And then again, right. We're creating our own closure. We're getting our agency back. We're witnessing, you know, these moments of growth, but at the same time, it's like, reflecting and you know knowing that it wasn't our fault mm -hmm. we were just there and you know sadly it things things happen like that right yeah and that was obviously very healing I'm assuming is it safe to oh, say yes, that yes. was like healing to you yeah because I'm very open about that like if you go back to other episodes in this podcast I'm like I'm very open I've always been very open about that but I know it's not that way for a lot of people right. um but it I didn't get to that point You know, it, a lot of things had to happen in order for me to say, it's okay because this is how I, I own back myself. I, I remind myself that I get to sort of di dictate how this narrative is going to take, you know, a part of my life right. and whatever. But yeah, so it's been very, very healing. But I mean, just everything about your book was just, I don't even have the words to express how powerful your writing was. Because even though they're short poems, they they kind of hit you in like the center, right? Like the right deep, they, they, they hit you right where you're like, something's happening to me and I don't know why, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and so I was really excited. I was excited to have you on here before that, but then I read the book and I was like... <gasps> Oh, I need to hear about him, you know, from himself <laughs> and tell us about that. How did you decide to put this work together and publish? Yeah. So uh, I like to, so what I have out right now is a chapbook and mm -hmm. it did win a, a contest um, with the two, with two Sylvia Press publishing and the judge was Victoria Chang. Uh, Victoria Chang is a huge staple in our literary community. So just for her to even for me to just picture her reading my work and selecting it, like I just want to, you know, like you made it, you you made it in life, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, basically, right. I was, I'm I'm touched by an angel, uh, right? So I feel very honored, uh, first of all, and you know, of course, like wow, like this is happening. But yeah, I like to refer to a chapbook as an, an album EP before the full album comes out. And that's how it, that's how I perceive it. And I feel like if we start looking at it that way, then it's like, you know, just a little glimpse or a little taste of what the full manuscript may have. Yeah. So this is um, like the like the movie trailer. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is already making you feel a lot of things. The whole collection, you know, will I wreck know. you. <laughs> I know. I'm going to be like, so Saul, you owe me for therapy because <laughs> this forced me into therapy again. No, but in a beautiful way, in a good way. Yeah. So so when when is like the rest of the work? Are you currently working on it? Are you, so... do you have a date? So I have a full manuscript and it's currently being looked at by a couple presses in the publishing world. I like 
for fair warning for everybody who wants to get into the profession of publishing. It's very, very difficult. You know, I've been writing since like about 2015, 2013, maybe. And, you know, it's 2022 and I barely have, you know, my, my EP out. <laughs> so it might be until, you know, maybe 2023, 2024 that I have a full manuscript out if mm-hmm. any of the uh, publishing houses decide to take on it. Okay. Uh, I am also currently sending it out to open competitions and, you know, hoping that it places at least, or, you know, maybe they say like you didn't win, but we're interested still in publishing you, you know, that could, that's a dream just right. in general to publish a whole collection. Just to go back a little bit right now, when you were talking about how your mom, like just when she was able to come visit you here in El Paso and like order for herself and you didn't uh-huh. have to order for her. Isn't it funny how you don't realize when you're very young, right? And you have parents whose status here is not quote unquote legal, which I hate that they even use the right. term illegal, right? But anyway, that you end up carrying all this responsibility that you don't even realize like how huge it is having to translate super important paperwork for them you know making appointments for them taking very important phone calls for them and you just kind of roll with it like and you don't realize wow I was an eight-year-old lead like reading some legal document for my parents and helping them fill it out like how you grow up so fast right yes um you know (laughs) and I I I feel like the religion that we were in mm-hmm. prepared me for that because, you know, they Jehovah's Witness do go door to door mm-hmm. and they talk to individuals. So I was like talking to people since I don't maybe like five years old, uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, about about the promised kingdom and whatnot. So I've, I've, I was kind of used to that. Um, but it wasn't until later where I was like, wait, this isn't common <laughs> right this is it normal for for other children to translate things like oh okay <laughs> something's not something's not right here when you don't realize and you're just kind of going with it um it's not difficult because it's like oh I'm just helping my parents but then when you when you actually are able to process what is happening is when you get when you start to like have a little bit more self-doubt I don't know if that was the case with you but then mm-hmm. I was like oh my gosh, this is like a big deal. And if I screw this up, I'm going to screw my parents up. <laughs> right? right. Um, yeah. But it wasn't <laughs> until then that I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm holding a very important piece of, you know, knowledge that I have to now help them understand. It was, it was crazy. But, you know, you right. adapt. And as, I think just as children, you're resilient anyway. Growing up that way, you just kind of like roll with the punches and you know, it is what it is. What was like your most memorable like moment now that your that your parents have the freedom or, you know, or your mom at least has the freedom to kind of move around and there's no fear because I don't think people understand the constant stress and fear that you live yeah. with when you have that status here in this in this country. Nothing could be happening, but you're never at ease. You're always like hypervigilant, somebody knocks at the door, nobody wants to answer it if it's an unexpected knock, right? Nobody wants to answer the phone, right? You're you're looking through the window, like like, there. Turn off the lights, turn off the TV, we're not expecting anybody. Um, But now that she has like 
that freedom, has it been easy for her? Like, has it been an easy transition for her to, like, try and live without that constant fear? I want to say yes. Um, obviously, like, I have witnessed some moments. Both, actually, my my father, my dad just got his residency this, oh, this good. year as well. And good. In January, um, we actually went to Juarez because he had to leave the country. My mom was able to obtain her residency within the country, but for my dad, it was a different case. Mm -hmm. We had to leave the country and I was the one who like went with them. And, you know, we spent like half of January in Juarez and uh -huh. I had to come back for work and like they still stayed over there the rest of the month. So I was able to witness some things with my dad as like him regaining, you know, a sense of like, I'm back in my country and like... Mm -hmm. Things have changed, but I'm also like enjoying this time. And I, I got to see him reunite with his siblings as well. And that was like, you know, very mm -hmm. healing for him, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for, for both of my parents, I have noticed, you know, a substantial difference when it comes to like driving, for example. Um, you know, it's always like below the speed limit or else <laughs> like you may get stopped. Right. Follow all the rules. <laughs> All yeah. the rules, yeah, uh, come to a complete stop. Don't, you know, not, not yield like the rest of everybody, like actually stop completely, right? And I think um, when you're raised by undocumented parents, you know, you're kind of just taught to be invisible, mm -hmm. like be as yeah. invisible as you can wherever. It doesn't matter like where you're at, like, yeah. you know, don't stick out. quiet, don't, don't say anything, don't talk, like just, you know, be silent. So I feel like we're all as a family breaking out of that. Okay. Um, you know, more vocal, definitely, you know, I want to go here. Then, you know, they have been going to Mexico about every month. So it's also like, go. Yeah, <laughs> like, do it. You know, you have <laughs> so much time you lost and like, they're just like, okay, well, we're going like for a week or two. And it's like, okay, well, have fun. You know, have fun. Enjoy your time. You know, it's true. We are taught, which is goes against everything that a lot of like people who share fake propaganda about undocumented individuals. It just shows you how inaccurate it is because you just said something, you know, your, your dad making sure he wasn't breaking the rules all the time, being quiet, not starting trouble. It was like that with my parents when we first got here. Like, you don't say anything that's going to get the attention Draw of attention. anyone. Yeah. Right. Um, you're just kind of like doing your thing, doing your best, go, you know, go about your day. You don't bother anybody. And it's, it, that's, that's the reality of an undocumented individual and, and families. You don't want to start any trouble. You don't want to, like, break any rules that are going to mm -hmm. potentially, like, be a challenge further down the line when you are, you know, going to have an opportunity to have, like, a visa, a green card, whatever the case may be. But a lot of right. uh, fake uh, propaganda says, oh, they're coming and they're breaking, like, they're just out breaking the law. They're out committing criminal acts. They're out, you know, just doing awful right. the most awful things and it's like i mean there's there's some of that everywhere that's not exclusive to <laughs> to people migrating to this country right you find that right. everywhere <laughs> but the majority of of people migrating here the last thing they want to do is get into trouble yeah the last thing you want to do is be noticed right <laughs> even in school it's like do your work. Yeah. I better not get a phone call from the teacher or like the school or anything like because, you know, that's going to draw attention to us. So, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. So every time that I hear somebody say, oh, they're out here breaking the law and taking our jobs, and I'm like, <laughs> that's so far. That that just tells me how, how you don't understand the situation at all. But I'm so happy that you were able to, like, make it to the podcast. If, if you allow me to, you know, and you honor me again, the opportunity to, like, t uh, talk with you when your manuscript is out, because I feel like, I think you. I think you have a really good shot at this. This is really, really good thank work. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'd love to have you on again. Yes, of course. Yeah, and we can go yeah, into it a little to. bit more. Yeah, and then maybe like before I let you go, anything that you want to share, like maybe a piece of advice or any thought that you're that you'd like to share right now with myself and the rest of the listeners. Literally going blank. Um, <laughs> I guess I. I would say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> For those, you know, who are not the status that, you know, we have right now, you know, I would say just keep, keep doing you and, you know, hopefully in the future you're able to get the status and, you know, you're granted to go back and be able to visit your country. Those of you who are trying to be writers or in any industry, you know, it's, it's a lot of patience, a lot of hard work and you're not going to see the fruits of your labor overnight in any industry. So, you know, todo su tiempo. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Además, like I, I always, I have to remind myself of that, but it's like we have to be really gentle and kind with ourselves because I think that sometimes we're like our own worst critics, you know, oh, and, and if we have an idea in our head and we're executing it and it's not coming out the way that we thought, you know, we imagined it, we're immediately like, oh, you did it wrong, this was not okay, you should have done this instead of that. But I think it's important to also be patient right. with ourselves and just take a break and then keep going. Consistency, consistency. Definitely, yes, I agree. Okay, well, Saul, which that's your name. There's something in there. Guys, get the book. It's called At Night My Body Waits by Saul Hernandez. And there's something beautiful about your name in there as well right now you're you're like wanting to <laughs> yes. own like no that's not how you say my name <laughs> say my name right <laughs> uh yeah let me play yeah. destiny's child real quick <laughs> i know right <laughs> no it's true but you know what i'm not i'm not gonna i can't let you go on that i can't can you tell us really quick how that came to be how you owned your name and you're like everybody has to at least attempt to say it right so there, there is a poem in there called That's Not My Name, and it's based on an experience I had as, you know, going into elementary school and going on my first field trip and just not being surrounded by Latinx individuals. And they basically put on my name tag, Sal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, in English, it's Sal. Sal, I know. <laughs> uh, in Spanish, it's Spanish, you know, that translates to salt. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, I mean, in English. So I was like, cool. Not, like, not only am I trying to be invisible, but now I'm like translucent. <laughs> Yeah. Now take away, take away my name, take away my identity. That's great. Right. Yeah. But um, no. Yeah. And then so what happened? So you, because I can't remember. I think you did say something about it, right? Or it wasn't until later. Right. I. So I think there's a lot that goes on in this poem yeah. as far as like you know the realizing of like trauma and reflecting. But essentially, you know, as a child, I did not have a voice, and I couldn't tell them like that's wrong. Uh, you know, because respect, respect and listen to authority. Mm -hmm. um, 
but basically in the poem I reflect and, you know, I do say like, now I do correct people mm-hmm. and I tell them like, no, 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 like not Sal or Sal or, or, you know, uh-huh. Sal, <laughs> Sal, <laughs> uh, but it's Saul <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. Okay. You know, and then sometimes they're like, oh, I can't pronounce that right. And I'm like, but the important, <laughs> yeah, the important thing here too is also that you're like, saying right like you're speaking up and you're saying that's not how you say it that's not my that's not my name (laughs) there's a song called that i love it (laughs) but anyway (laughs) yeah there is and my 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 kids used to listen to that all the time when they were little i love it thank you again i mean like i said anybody listening it's like i just could go on and on about every single little poem here it was so good i i cried i got chills I was excited about just getting to hear your voice, right? Like putting a voice to the words in the book. And I'm really glad that this happened. And I'm so looking forward to whatever work you're going to put out next. I'll be reading it and I'll be for sure. I would Thank love you. to Thank have you. you back on here again. And we could really get into it. Thank you. I appreciate everything. And I would love to come back. I would also love to read a poem before I head out. Yes. You, okay oh my you. gosh. Yes. Um, I'll go ahead and read the first poem. Okay. Because uh, I feel like that captures the essence of this chapbook. So this is Meditation on Grief. My therapist says, grief is like filling a balloon with water until it gets so heavy it bursts. I think of Abba, how when he arrived to the States, he drank so much beer, you could smell his brother's suffocation on him. How he still sits outside, searches the night sky for his brother's face. He was never taught to mourn. Instead, he carries grief inside like me. When it rains, he takes cover so he won't fill up and burst like my Thea. When she lost her husband, we would carry her like water in our arms, lay her in the tub, run cold rivers all over her body until it would enter her skin like knives. And she'd yell, Mario! My therapist says, grief comes at different stages in our lives. I tell her some days I wake up to a moth's voice ringing in my ear. I can't go to Mexico. How a moth sent me to bury her father when she couldn't go. How my brother and I carried my abuelo's casket around the town, our bodies on the verge of collapsing from all the weight. My therapist asks, how does that make you feel? I tell her it reminds me of a recurring dream. Abba and I stuck in a flash flood while driving. She says, Grief can manifest in dreams. In mine, water leaks through the thin cracks of our car door. Apa looks at me. No tengas miedo. The doors won't open. Neither of us can break the windshield. And we laugh until water goes inside of us. Thank you. Oh, you are so talented. You you, are so talented. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Okay. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm like on the verge of tears again. I don't know why. (laughs) 
Uh, but it was really beautiful to have that. Thank you for that. That was great. Um, and we'll talk soon for sure. Yes, of course. Thank you again for having me on here and everybody have a good Sunday. Thank you. Bye-bye.